we want to uh, to talk about usage today. And uh, the, uh, uh, the first slide that I have has uh, quotes from four panelists of a dictionary called the Harper Dictionary. It must be published by Harper Collins. I frankly haven't seen uh, the dictionary. But one of the panelists uh, uh, is a name that uh, you may recognize, Charles Kuralt, who uh, he's, he's on the radio, he, uh, I think, uh, until recently, uh, uh, had a little program. At any rate, the four quotes uh, say the following. <clears throat> Chalk squeaking on a blackboard is to be preferred to this usage. Uh, next one, popular jargon at its most illiterate level. Next one, this is one that makes me physically ill. And last expert says, the mo most horrible usage of our time. Uh, so that's really horrible. Guess, guess what English word they're talking about. I mean, hard. there's so many that they could. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're talking about hopefully. Really? Now, why would uh, none of you uh, look upset? But why would a panel of experts be upset by hopefully? Uh, let me give you it in context. <clears throat> uh, if I say, um, hopefully, it will be warm tomorrow. That's the one that's like chalk squeaking on the blackboard to these guys. If I said, um, uh, hopefully Sandy came to the computer and uh, to, to see if it was, if the display was working, that would be okay. So hopefully before it is annoying. Hopefully before Sandy is not. What's the difference? It makes a big difference to these guys. Anything? Sandy is a computer with hope. He's full of hope. Right. So uh, uh, hopefully it's an adverb. You can do something hopefully. It means that when you do that, you're hopeful. But if you say, hopefully it will rain, who's hopeful? Well, you, you are because you're saying it, but your sentence doesn't say that, okay? The sentence has the subject, it, and it's as if, uh, to these guys, as, as if hopeful is modifying it. And so that's why they have such a huge problem with it, okay, you understand? What we'll do is, uh, let's start by, um, uh, I collected the, um, the, the uh, contributions of our own local usage panel. Those of you who sent in a log of uh, different uh, usages that you reacted to in the last week. Uh, so let, uh, let's, let's cover those. We'll do the quiz, and while we're doing the quiz, uh, 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 I'll, I'll see if I can um, uh, get this running with, uh, with Sandy's help or, or your help. <coughs> I'm sorry about the technical problems. So uh, the, uh, the, the problem with hopefully is just that from the point of view of self-appointed grammarians, uh, uh, it's necessary to have a certain kind of agreement in order to use an adverb like hopefully. Um, uh, that, that doesn't 
bother you so much, but there are things that bother you as you reported uh, to me. So here's, here's what we have. Um, I, I, I tried to classify these in, uh, in, in, into a few categories. Can we see uh, these complaints uh, as representing different types, different general types? So uh, one, one thing that bothered a few of you are things that you called meeting words or uh, office words. They're just jargon that's thrown around the office. And people talk funny there. And uh, I can see from the expressions on your faces that you know what I mean. So some, uh, some examples are showstopper, way forward, not unexpected, not unheard of. And do uh, you have other, other examples that, uh, oh, oh, this is looking better and better. Uh, other examples of um, locutions that, that you hear in the workplace that just sound like um, uh, the people who are talking, they're not, they're not thinking very hard. <laughs> this is a little different, but I've noticed at Stanford, every single committee and meeting is referred to as a task force. Task force, okay, good, <laughs> good, <laughs> good. So now, what, so what, what's the, uh, oh, wonderful. Thank you so much, Sandy. Uh, what's the, uh, that, that got started for, uh, uh, a, a justifiable reason. If it if the reason hadn't been justifiable, it wouldn't have caught on. So what was what what originally motivated someone to use that and someone else to copy it and so on until it became tiresome? I think it makes professors feel like spies. I'm sorry, I wasn't. I wasn't looking at the I, I just said I, I think it makes professors feel like they're spies. They're on like a covert operation. They're part of a task force. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, anything else? What's the uh, uh, when you heard when you first heard the term task force? So before you got tired of hearing it, what uh, what did it convey to you? What what in a positive light did it convey to you? Well, would that it had stuck to completing a task? Good. They have an appointed, appoint, they have an appointed task, so there's something definite that needs to be accomplished, and they're calling this group a force. They're giving them a compliment. They're saying that this group has some sort of power. All right. So I mean, that was it was a great creation. What went wrong? <laughs> it just, it used, I, I just think it, it now has a different nuance. Yeah. And I, I find it to sound a little silly. It's, in, it's used indiscriminately, and therefore it loses whatever meaning it has. If everything is a task force, then everything's equal, and no, nothing has more power than anything else. Or that's, that's the implication. And so what's, what's the solution? Come up with a new name. <laughs> <laughs> Come up with a new name, and don't, don't grind it into the ground. Right? The task force still has a chance of being a meaningful expression. It's just we have to learn not, not to overdo it. It's, it's like we're not being creative enough. We're, we're all creative people. If you look at some of, some of the usages that, uh, that, that you've come up with, we're all very creative. But it's just uh, in a pinch, we just fall back on the same old thing. Why do we do that? 
Well, sometimes we're lazy. Sometimes we're afraid to be creative. So in, in your department, it may be that if people say, uh, what, what would be an, uh, a more original way to say task force? Just, you know, uh, uh, you know a something committee or uh, a, work, a working group or you know, just something. Um, if, uh, if people say that, they're afraid that, well, pe uh, people will think that's the wrong thing to call it or, or something. I think if, if we have a little imagination and a little bit of confidence, that will, that will help us to come up with uh, new expressions that, that don't run the old ones into the ground. Um, let's see what else. Uh, okay, now we can go to the, the, the slides. Thanks so much, Sandy. Okay, so here, here are the, the, the quotes. All right. Ah, all right. Uh, this, this is in the, this, in the version of the lecture before the one that, uh, that was lost in the last hour. Another use uh, that, uh, what you is he, she. One that I had never encountered, but I looked it up in the Urban Dictionary. Anybody, has anybody uh, seen it? So he, she, it refers to, uh, uh, tell, tell us no, about it. I have like experience with it, but, um, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've heard it before, just like, you know, like on TV and everything. So how would you use it? How would you use it? When you call a person that. You call a person? I think so. Okay. So uh, uh, from what I've been able to reconstruct, uh, it started out with, uh, we didn't want to use sexist language. So instead of always using he, we started saying he, she. So uh, uh, if, if someone wants to leave the, the room, he, she is perfectly welcome to do that. Okay, and, and we, uh, in, um, in type, you see, the, you see it with the diagonals uh, between the he's, okay? So that, that's first how it got established. Then someone got clever and said, well, if it's a he, she, then you can't tell the difference between whether it's a male or a female. And so certain people were referred to as a he, she. And of course, the first, uh, the first, first kind of person that that expression referred to was a transgender person. All right? So a he, she is someone who is both or neither or something like that. And then beyond that, it got, uh, it got extended by a process that we called generalization a couple weeks ago to uh, someone of, uh, uh, who might be androgynous, someone uh, who's not transgender exactly, but who is slightly male, slightly female, you know, but just not, not aggressively either one or, or the other. And then the latest change, this is all from the Urban Dictionary, all right? Uh, so I have no idea whether it's true. <laughs> um, the, uh, then this thing uh, started being spelled H-E-S-H-E -E with no punctuation. And once that happened, people started pronouncing it heesh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, I have never encountered it, uh, but listen for it. And we'll see what, uh, what happens to it in, the, in its, its next uh, conception. Uh, other... Uh, other words from the workplace. So back, uh, uh, back in, the, uh, in the 80s, we were hearing uh, that's the bottom line. Okay, in the 90s, everything was about raising the bar 
Uh, oh, yes, I, I, the pain expression. It, I, I couldn't have drawn a more pain expression out of you if I had scraped my <laughs> nails on the blackboard. Excellent. Good. What, other expressions like that, things that really, really get you? Thinking out of the box. Yeah. Oh, good. Yes, out of the box. Good. Um, and uh, it, it, they, they all seem to exemplify the same thing. It's like we're copying one another. We're afraid to go against the crowd, or we're afraid to think out of the box. And so we talk like that. We talk like everyone else. Other distracting expressions, uh, germane. This struck someone as just too pedantic for the context. Context was a regular office meeting, I think. And say, this, uh, 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 th th this subject is not germane to the discussion. Okay? I mean, it's not related to what we're doing. Uh, capability for ability. Someone asked a question, and uh, uh, I'm going to ask uh, you, our usage panel, to, uh, to answer this. What's the difference between capability and ability? In particular, why do we use capability at all? Because uh, isn't it the same as ability? So let's just have you comment on that. Emily. Well, my, my first impression is that capability is like um, you have the you you're, you have that possibility to be able to do something, okay. whereas ability is you already are you already have that. Okay, so so capability is more about a potential right. to do something. Right. Uh, so all right, uh, any good? Any any anything else? Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, I think I think we can just if I if I ask you, are you are you capable of pa getting a passing grade on a quiz in this class? Yes, you're all you're all really smart. Of course, you're capable. You have all the wherewithal, but are you able to get a passing grade on the quiz tonight? No, it depends on how much how much you study. If you're capable of doing something, it, 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 it's pretty much the way. Um, if you're capable of doing something, you have the capacity, but you may not be able right on the spot to do it. Right? Are you capable of helping me? Yeah. But are you able? Well, you know, maybe, maybe not. Uh, someone objected to VOG, which is a blend for volcanic smog. And one of, the, one of the things that set them off was the SM of smog was not represented in, so the smoke component of smog was not represented at all in, in VOG. Uh, anyone, any comments? Hey, what, uh, some of these things will bother uh, some experts and not bother others. It's like the hopefully things. So, some people are bothered. Um, uh, here's, here's a sentence. There were two things that, um, that uh, that, that called out to the person who submitted this one. Be an incredible fam family. This is a, a sign. Volunteer to green the Bay Area. What, now, without talking about your own reactions necessarily, although that's fair game, uh, uh, help me figure out what are the two things in there that caught someone's eye. So to green as a verb. Right, and, and we do we do see that, right? To make to make it more 
environmentally sound. Right. Greening, greening, the verb used to, there was a book called The Greening of America back in, I don't know, the 1970s, where green referred to the color of American money, um, I think. Um, what, uh, what's, uh, what's, what's the less obvious thing in, in there? Anything? Anything? B, uh, it, uh, uh, it, uh, I'm going to try to represent this person's uh, uh, viewpoint um, fairly. Uh, if you see a sign that says B, the, uh, the communication is between that sign and you. There's one sign and there's one you. And so it's as, what you feel is that the sign is talking to you as a single person. But it's telling you to be a family and say, I can't, I'm only one person. And so uh, what, uh, what, what just seemed a little funny was in, in that situation, uh, B didn't seem to belong, all right. Now, I don't, uh, I, again, I, uh, anyway, let's just leave, leave it like that. Um, in, in ice hockey, instead of uh, pinching in, they activate. Okay, the team is activating. All right. Uh, and what, uh, what our expert claimed is that it, 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 it sounds a little phony. It's like trying, trying to sound more... more scholarly than the occasion requires. Mode was the same. The players no score, they're in a scoring mode. And I think, I think we see, see that as an example of the sort of verbosity that we talked about uh, when we talked about office talk. Using more words than are, are necessary. All right. Uh, and uh, this, one, this one got our, uh, our experts so angry that uh, uh, he made a wisecrack mm -hmm. about, about the announcers being in a retarded mode. <clears throat> and, uh, and then it, other, other expressions that, again, just sound, um, they sound too fancy for what they are. So compete level or achieve level. Uh, I guess in, um, in some forms of athletic competition, there are compete level, like one, two, three, four, and five. You can talk about someone's compete level. And in educational circles, there are achievement levels, now called achieve levels. It just sounds, it sounds a little jargony. You can see how uh, these can be pushed a, a little too far. But I think that the, 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 what, we're, what we're learning from these is that there are many little ways in which our speech can annoy other people and, 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 and uh, uh, two lessons we can learn from that is are uh, one, we, we, we shouldn't be pretentious. We shouldn't try to say more than the occasion justifies. And number two, what ticks you off may not tick the other person off. These things are, uh, become, many of them, highly personal, highly individual. Let's go on, look at uh, a couple others. So uh, uh, some people just can't, they're two separate people. Uh, one objected to torch for flashlight, the other one to rubbish for garbage. All right, the Britishisms just, uh, uh, just don't, don't sit well with, uh, with, with some people. 
Um, here's an interesting one. America has Americans. Why doesn't Canada have Canadians? So why do we have that extra I in Canadians? And, uh, and so let me ask uh, uh, what, what, uh, what do you think? What do you think? Just stands better. It just I, sounds better. Having the three A's in the room. Huh? Having the three A's in the room just sounds awkward. Oh, okay. It, okay. And so, uh, uh, so if you're from Panama, you're a Panamanian, not a Panaman. If you're from Alabama, which has four A's, what are you? Albanian? Huh? Not an Alabama, right? Yeah. It's just like the heart. Um, I guess um, it just depends on the uh, consonant, like the, the last consonant for the A. Okay, so certain combinations of consonants just don't, don't sound good. Uh, so if you have an N, like Havana, okay, you won't have, uh, I guess you have uh, Habanero, right? You won't have Havana. Hey, uh, 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 I don't. I don't know the reason why we have Canadian, but maybe maybe it has to do with uh, the rhythm or the sound of it. <clears throat> uh, two of you very cleverly uh, found things in the textbook for the course that that seemed odd. So truer and commonest for more true and most common, and uh, and it's. It's, I, I can see, we have, a, we have a rule in English, uh, uh, what we learned in school, can, can you tell me the rule you learned in school about using more and most versus the comparative ER and superlative EST? There's a rule? It depends on how many syllables. Yeah. You, right, so what was, what, what was it for, for one syllable? For one syllable, you would add the ER yeah, you you use er and est, and then for for more than two syllables, for three syllables, so beautiful or exaggerated, you'll always use uh, more and most, and then for two syllables, it just depended. There's, there's it just depended on the word. So you could say easier or um, sprightlier. But I guess you couldn't say commoner. I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't know the rule myself. Um, the other. The other thing for that uh, that uh, one of our local experts picked up from the textbook is uh, we use the word perverse, meaning uh, kind of uh, uh, thinking in in a, in a way that that went against. Uh, uh, it, it just wasn't wasn't very. Uh, uh, charitable or thoughtful, okay. that, and and um, the uh, the the comment was, well, uh, this person used perverse only to mean uh, in a sexual context, so kind of perverted, okay, which was uh, would have been uh, 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 a really bad thing in in the textbook. Again, we we can we can uh, how, uh, how do we find out whether these uh, these uh, complaints are well-founded. What, what do we do? Well, we can look them up in the dictionary. We can ask one another, well, what do you think? 
with a very, okay, very different source. So one, one, one source we go to an authority, the dictionary. Second one was kind of more democratic or populist. Just ask, ask people who speak the language, well, what do you think? Uh, what else can we do? We can, um, now we can Google. In fact, let's do that. <laughs> uh, let's do that uh, while, while you're taking the quiz. I'll Google first and see, see what come, comes up. Uh, uh, because we'll get a lot more, a, a lot more instance of, is, instances of it than we will by consulting this, this class. <coughs> um, back to what other experts have uh, commented on, on usages of, of their time. Around uh, 1710, Swift, the famous author and satirist, uh, uh, just really came down hard on the manglings and abbreviations, like rep for reputation, can you imagine? Uh, by illiterate fops and half-witted poets. Um, Fowler and Fowler, in a, a really uh, uh, well-regarded source, they're, uh, they're British, they wrote in the rather early, the, the early the, around 1925, 29 or so, uh, the book has been through endless uh, editions, reprintings. It's still, still widely read. Americanisms are foreign words and show, so sh should be so treated. Um, Jeffrey Hughes, more recently, uh, a British linguist, wrote in 1988 in a, a wonderful book, Words in Time. Uh, again, from a British point of view, he's talking about American vogueisms. A nice word, isn't it? Like cool, neat, smart, mean, with it, dumb, uptight, rip off. They sound very American, don't they? Here, communication through wide, vague, emotive use is usually gained at the expense of the precision which the words have, have traditionally maintained. This is something that you hear quite often, that when, when we change the use of a word, it becomes less precise, and and therefore that's bad. I, I, have you encountered that that uh, that point of view? This is this is uh, this is the uh, one, of, one of the best instances I I've seen in print. Um, I I uh, personally I would like to understand the logic of this better. It it seems to depend on the proposition that. The reason why we speak to one another is because we have very precise things that we want to express. And we want to make sure that the meaning that we intend is the meaning that is transferred to you. And you could make, you could make a case for that. Certainly in this, in this class, it would be terrible if in talking to one another, in, in saying what I just said, if I had one thing in my mind and you got some totally different idea from it, I would just, that would defeat the, the purpose of talking and the purpose of language. Yeah? Except for a lot of those words are started by younger people and their intent isn't just to communicate an idea, it's a social kind of interaction. So it's more than just what the word's saying. It's exactly. Communication is more than uh, expressing logical propositions to one another. 
Oh, that's one of the things that we do well, but it's far from being the only thing. That is. If we're excited about something, we use words and sound <laughs> uh, to say that. The words, uh, the words here were, were chosen, dumb, uptight, were, were chosen by a community of speakers because they, they were able to communicate feelings that mattered. What's wrong, I don't, what's wrong with communicating feelings? What's wrong with using words to communicate feelings? I just don't get, I just don't get the, 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 the complaint here. Yeah. I'll take a stab at your rhetorical question. Huh? That sounds, that sounds like a rhetorical question, but I'll take a stab at it. Oh, good. Anyway. Yes, answer the, yes, the rhetorical question. <laughs> the thing I was thinking was, um, you know, uh, I noticed that when I'm high-ending with someone, a lot of the context for those slang words is lost. Because oftentimes when you say something is really neat, you know, are you being sarcastic? You know, same with smart or any of those words up there, you know. Uh, you really need to be in person with someone to get the, you know, the nonverbal communication uh, to understand what they're saying. Oftentimes, when I'm IMing, without the nonverbal communication, just the text of the slang is often misunderstood. Is often misunderstood. <coughs> misunderstood. So context, context uh, is very important. Otherwise, these words will not. Serve right. the the purpose to serve. So what I'm saying is, with you know, with merely the the text of the words there, with so many meanings, there are too many variations in what you're trying to say. And uh, so so and uh, so he, so here's the saying: uh, they're they're so they're so vague that it uh, there's a danger that they'll communicate the wrong. The wrong emotion. It's not. It's not. Right. Not just that they're emotive. It's what, just that. Right. Whereas in person, you can probably get your point across just by the tone of the word. Yeah. But I am kind of exposes Good. the fragility of their usage. Good. So uh, th uh, this is an interesting point. It. Uh, but what wh what it's saying, I think, and uh, this is testable, is that if you see a word like uptight. In a written uh, written down somewhere, there's a danger of misunderstanding it. Okay, I'm not sure whether that's correct. I agree with that concept, but I don't think it's isolated to slang words. I think anything be, can be misconstrued and yeah. misunderstood when you don't have the nonverbal to go with it. Yeah. So I think yeah. any word, you know, intelligent yeah. could be misconstrued just as much as smart could be misconstrued. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's one of the problems with nonverbal communication is that you fall into that trap. Good, uh, good, good point, tell us. And I, I think sort of behind that is from a text point of view, whether it's IM or email, is the emoticon where you can sort of add that emotion or something to it. Beer commercial or something out there where every word in the commercial is due, except it's emphasized in different ways. You know, whether it's a question mark or something like that. And if you were just to see it uh, in text, it's just due 15 times or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you got no appreciation for what it's doing. Okay. 
That's good. So there's, there's, is there a trade-off between um, using words creatively, using words to express emotions, maybe uh, uh, whenever, whenever we use a metaphor, say, um, I, I flew home from here, meaning I drove really fast or, or, or something like that. It, the, the more you do that, the more uh, you're uh, setting up a situation for possible misunderstanding. There's, there's a trade-off between clarity and precision and uh, just speaking in the moment and being original, kind of push, pushing the, the boundaries of, of language. Well, I was going to say, um, though I definitely agree with what they were saying, I, on the flip side of that, there are things that are more clear in print. Um, and the one example that comes to mind is the word fat, which is now being spelled F-A-T and P-H-A-T. And oh. they're opposite meaning, or not opposite, but very different. Um, in that if somebody were to say, man, she's fat, <laughs> do they mean she's overweight or do they mean that she's gorgeous? Right. Which is, you know, now yeah. two different right. things. And yeah, so it's a mess. It's a mess when you're speaking. When you're writing, when you're writing, you would then, know exactly you what they meant. Yeah. Good. Um, is it true? Is it true? I, take take one of these words uh, at random, like wild, in the in the sort of slang sense. So, uh, you know, a lot a lot of fun, but slightly naughty. Okay, so, yeah, yeah, what, what, uh, a meaning like that. Is it true that the meaning of that is wider, vague, and vaguer than the original meaning of wild with uh, wild animal? Hmm? Yeah. Is it? Huh? It's wider now. Hmm? So it's wild animals. So, right? uh, so applying wild to animals gives us a fairly distinct, clear idea. How about? Um, a wild forest. How about a wild? Um, I'm trying to think of a non-slang use of of wild that is uh, that 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 isn't as clear as wild animal. Um, a wild person. Okay. There was a wild person running in the streets last night. Okay, it, it, absolutely. I intend that as a literal use of wild. Okay, not not someone who was, you know, drinking too much or, or something like that. All right, is that meaning as precise? Uh, is that more precise than the the uh, the slang use of wild? Not not clear to me. <clears throat> I re I really think that um, that this point of view is downplaying to the detriment of language, the, uh, the emotive uses of, of the words that, that we use. <clears throat> uh, here's one. Sloppy, uh, we're in danger of losing our past subjunctive. Right, that was uh, 37 years ago. Well, the danger is past, that past subjunctive is past. No idea what that, what that means. If, if, I had, if I had known, I, if I had known before, uh, I would have done it differently. Had known, maybe, is the past subjunctive, as opposed to the present subjunctive, which if I knew the answer, I would tell you. That's probably what the past subjunctive is. Um, 
But what, what this writer is doing is it, it's saying that because we're, uh, we're ceasing to use this very difficult form, we must be sloppy and, and lazy. And um, uh, what, what I don't like about that is that uh, if, if, if we attribute this change, this simplification to sloppiness and laziness, then how about uh, uh, half of the things that we say? When we say I'm for I am, are we just being lazy? When we changed the, 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 the sound that's written CH in the German word Nacht for night, when we lost that consonant entirely, it's, it's still in our spelling, N-I-G-H-T, so we're not too lazy to spell it. <laughs> Although we do, we even do that, uh, N-I-T-E now is, is coming in. Um, but when we drop that sound from night and light and right and so on, we're being sloppy and lazy. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe we were economizing on articulatory energy, but maybe at the same time we were uh, we were making the system of English pronunciation into one that was more orderly in something. Maybe that sound huh, that we lost from these words, uh, maybe the absence of that sound made for a system that was just more, uh, more regular in a sense. Yeah. But couldn't, that, couldn't also part of that be that the English are so classist and that they're afraid of um, perhaps that these leather influences are people not in their class and they want to uphold their standings because they, they judge each other on how they speak. Well, you know, uh, it, may, it may be true, but I think, I think we all, we all are, then we all are classes, okay, in, in this country as well. We care, it's just, it's just uh, we care about how we speak. We care, correctness matters to us to, to, to some extent. No matter who we are, we want, we want to be correct. And, and what, 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 what leads to problems is that your standards for correctness may not be the same as the next person's standards. All right. If you have if you have distinct classes, I suppose it's true that the distinct classes can can adopt different uh, speech patterns, and so there uh, the, the all those differences will uh, bother uh, members of of the, of the different classes to a greater degree than than us here. But it it really surprises me um, uh, 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 to hear the extent to which uh, pe people in this country also they really care about getting getting things right, but we we all have uh, slightly different standards. <clears throat> um, so back in the eighties, Charlemagne tried to make speakers of French. He's just he, he was a very powerful guy. Uh, he wanted them to go back to classical language, classical Latin, because. French was, it was a spoken language. It was messy. It wasn't uh, as logical. It wasn't as rule-governed, okay? And, uh, and this, is just, this, this is something that you see happening at all periods of time. Um, Coleridge, the, 
poet and critic who uh, wrote in the early 18th century, sometime in the 18th century, says, rules of grammar are in essence no other than the laws of universal logic applied to psychological material, meaning applied to language, something that we master in our, in our minds. Um, I'd like to ask, ask Coleridge where he got that notion. What, okay, is language logical? Given what language is, how could it possibly be logical? Look at, look at how we trace the history of, of English. It started with the Anglo-Saxons. There was an invasion by French. They took over the government, the church, and so on. French got mixed in with English so that you had French prefixes attached to English roots. You had French pronouns and English um, demonstrative articles all mixed together. How is that? How is something like that with, that's born that way going to turn out to be logical? Okay, at what point are we going to be able to uh, instill a kind of logic into something that forms that way? When, when what we do every day, although we're taught rules, what we do every day is we just go off and invent something new. I'll invent a new use for the word fly or, or uh, uh, he, she, or, or whatever. It, without, without worrying about how that new use affects the whole rest of the system. The system is going to be a bunch of accretions that, that are the sum total of people's inventiveness. How, how is that thing going to be logical? So to be devil's advocate, um, simple and logical are not the same thing. Right? So it could be complex and still logical. Right, so, so it could be an accretion, there could be various um, Creole type things, but it could still be logical. Well, how logical? Yet to be angle or attentive, I guess, but how you define logic, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it seemed that you were arguing that it was complicated and messy, yeah. not necessarily the same as capable when, when, when we learn our language, okay, so when we're young, we're uh, uh, we're in the home, we're listening to our parents, we're picking the language up from our environments. We go to school, we learn some rules and so on. At, at, at the point of learning the language, we, uh, in acquiring language, we're trying to establish a kind of logic, a kind of system. And we managed, we managed to do that to uh, uh, a great extent in a very short amount of time. We figure out where the subject goes, where the verb goes, what kinds of endings go on the verbs, and they're different from the endings that go on the subject. All right. So all that is very orderly and systematic, the basic grammar of the language. And then at a certain point, actually very, very early, we become a little playful. All right. we, we, uh, we, we use the word in a new way or we put an ending on, uh, in a place where it doesn't belong. Right. And that's just, uh, it, it, we, we depart from logic. At a certain point, when we, got this, when we got the system down, we're able to, just, we're able to play with the system and make it less systematic. I, I, mean, I, I totally agree, but I mean, time, the rules is the same as just changing the rules, right? So uh -huh. So I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, 
So, so uh, but, but, uh, isn't it true that we we have rules and we have uh, we have a talent for and an interest in playing with those rules? We couldn't we couldn't do that if there were no rules, okay? But but okay. So there are rules. There's a system there. But it's it's very uh, uh, universal logic is uh, is putting it much too narrowly. All right. Let me let, let, let me let me explain uh, what I mean by saying universal logic is putting it too narrow, narrowly. Take take the, uh, the the problem of it's me versus it's I. If uh, if so, uh, if someone uh, asks you who is it, what what are you going to answer? It's me or it's I? <laughs> think think about it. All right. And, uh, and, and, and what it is, is say you're in the home and, uh, uh, and a family member says, who's that in the other room? And you want to say, you want to identify the person as yourself. Which one do you say? Who's, who says it's me? Who says it's I? Okay. So uh, uh, some people do say it's I, but a, a, a rather small number. Which one is logical? Well, uh, a case could be made for saying that uh, it, uh, it is, the verb is, is a, a verb of being. And so the, the noun that comes after is, is in the same case as the subject. I'm not making this up. This is what they taught me in school. Maybe you heard this in school too. I don't know if they teach this anymore. But uh, uh, because... The, the noun after is it should, be, it should logically be in the nominative case. You have to say I and not me. All right. Well, that's called logic, but it's, it's, it, 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 it's, it's, not, it's not logic in the sense of universal logic because the French don't, don't do it. You can't be logical. You can't say, say je in French. It just won't work. You have to say, c'est moi. That's the rule. All right. The logic of French, if you will, is different from the logic of German, where you say, uh, to say it's me, you say, I am it. Ich bin's. Okay. Ich bin's. Uh, so the, the, the logic, uh, apply, applying logic to languages is, is going to be tricky. Each language has its own system, but to identify that system with some exterior logic is, is going too far. Take a look at this example. I'm going to compare English with uh, 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 this sentence in English with the, the, the way the Inuit uh, Eskimos uh, say it. So Hansi has a sled. We have a subject, Hansi, and a predicate has a sled. Very intuitive uh, uh, structure. You have the subject, you have the verb, the verb's got an object. In Inuit, the way you have Hansi has a set, the way you say Hansi is, is different. Hansi appears in subject position and has a case marker which is zero in, in this case, and that uh, marks Hansi as a nominative. The next word is an instrumental case marker. 
This whole, uh, it's ah uh, followed by an instrumental case marker. So this is, this ah uh, is the indefinite article ah. Uh. So the second word in this sentence is the word ah. Uh. So we have Hansi ah, uh, and then the rest, the remaining word in the sentence is has a sled. That, 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 that concept has a sled is one word. That word consists of sled, have, and a possessive marker. So for, uh, for an Inuit speaker, the logical way to, to divide up a sentence about what we call a subject, a verb, and an object is very different from uh, what we do. And this is, this is just true. The more languages you look at, the more, you see, uh, more different ways you see of, uh, uh, of ex expressing things. All right? to, 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 to associate the way we put sentences together with logic is just fallacious. Can I argue that point with you? <laughs> what? Can I argue that point with you? Yes! Uh, in defense of what Colbert said, uh, a universal logic. Uh, well, first, just looking at that sentence, couldn't he have simply meant that there are things like possessive markers, right? Um, and that there's a logic to things like the possessive case. Good. So let's let, let's what well, uh, let, let's say he meant that. I I think that would be great. What we, what we would simply do is go back to his statement and instead of saying rules of grammar are in essence no other than the laws of universal logic, we would say something like, um, it, it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be nearly so strong a statement, we would say that uh, uh, maybe, maybe you could, maybe you could, the, the, the statement as it stands, the, the statement as he's is saying it, it's just much too strong. But if the rules of grammar are, uh, in essence, no other than the laws of universal logic, how can languages differ as, as much as they do? Well, I would submit that they don't actually differ, that they have things like nominative and okay. possessives and so forth. Okay. The order, you know, has to do with the rules of a particular language but there might be something like an intuitive grammar, which is just the existence of you know, possessive words or possessive so forms. So if said something like, there are universal concepts like possession, agency, the so subject is an agent, uh, motion, so verbs express motion and movement and so on. If, if Coleridge said, said that, that would that would be true. I mean, every language expresses agency, possession, motion, right? Beyond beyond said, beyond that, can can we can we narrow down his statement so that it's stronger than that? Because I'm I'm fine with saying every language can express notions of agency, possession, motion, uh, uh, present, past, and so on. To me, that's kind of what his sentence says. Okay, well, that, that's he, great. If, if, that's, if, that, if, if that's all he's saying. If he said the rules of English grammar are no other than the okay. rules of universal logic, that would be going too far. <laughs> but, it, 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 but maybe you need the context of his yeah. whole thing to yeah. understand the meaning that, yeah. that you're <clears> going for. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know, but just taking that little, that little part just reads like 
rules of grammar are intuitive. I would, I mean, I would disagree with that. Just, you can take it just as rules of any grammar, any language grammar. And if you look at just uh, something very simple like the verb, the subject verb object order, which is, you know, there are languages that are all mixed up, you know. From, you know, they'll put the verb first or the verb in the middle of the verb at the sure. end. Sure. And those are all rules of grammar. But not one of them is, can you say that it's completely logical to do this and all the other ones are illogical. So, I mean, even taken as sort of the most general, to me, I, I take it as, it just seems like very kind of snobbish, um, saying this is what language is and this is only what language is, which, I, you know, you kind of attribute to 17th or 18th century is English scholars. Is the difference between internal logic and external logic then? Is that what he's saying? He's saying that the internal logic of grammar is an external logic? I, uh, I, your distinction is very important. I think, I think one of the flaws in the Coolidge quote is the, the word universal with universal logic. It gives the impression, correctly or not, that he's talking about one, one logic to which all languages uh, uh, must conform. And so if, if there's a, a definition of nominative, it, uh, it has to conform to a single universal uh, definition of that. And that just doesn't, that just doesn't, that just doesn't work for languages. All right, nominative can actually mean different things. And we see, we, we, we see in English, okay, how it's me, which has, uh, uh, you know, it just defies that, that universal logic. Well, and back to the um, me and I um, example, that where you really tell how, you know, how it's not logical to me is that if somebody calls you and says, can I speak to John? No, it's John there. Um, this is he. Where else do we run around and talk about ourselves? It's like, you know, that it's not us. It's like you're talking about somebody else. It doesn't, to me, that's not logical because our, we don't normally do that, right? This is he, this is she. I mean, we, you know, it, it, to me, it doesn't really, it doesn't follow the logic of our language, how we talk about it, uh, using those yeah. words for other people other than ourselves. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? I it I I uh, I think I think I th I think I know what you're saying. The the the, the problem that we have is, um, uh, let's see if I can can compress it into one simple question. Uh, uh, for any rule of grammar of any language, can you justify it in terms of a universal logic? Given that languages uh, have to be coherent to some, to a considerable extent, given that they need to have a system, otherwise we wouldn't be able to learn them. Uh, and if, we, if they didn't have a system, then how could you and I have the same language if, 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 they, right, if they're a total mess? The languages have to have a system, they have to conform to Certain, certain criteria, but the problem is to what extent can you identify that coherence and systematicity with logic in an absolute universal sense? And I'm saying, I'm saying 
associating grammars with universal logic is at best misleading and at worst plainly false. All right. I, uh, the, the, so I, I, mean, I, I think we all agree on the, uh, the virtues of having a system and virtues of having rules. But, uh, but the rules of logic, I think, the rules of mathematics, they don't, they don't vary, all right? And languages just vary in all, kind, in all kinds of ways, all right? That's kind of the, the point. Um, here's, here's something that, uh, that no one complained about, but it's about splitting infinitives. So one of the, one of the things that we, we, we were given a hard time with in, uh, in high school was splitting of infinitives. And um, uh, so the, the point is that you sh uh, between the two and the verb, you should never put anything in between. And so uh, it's, it's a, uh, never to split, it's not to split never, but to never split, that, that's really bad. But two judges in Los Angeles had a mock trial and they, 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 uh, it was about whether infinitives should or should not be split and their conclusion was to always split an infinitive would be to sadly torture the English language, but it's probably all right to now and then split one. <laughs> they're, they're just making fun. Um, where, where did the rule don't split an infinitive come from? Help me understand. There was, there was, there was that rule and uh, people still observe it uh, to some extent. But where did it come Where did it come from? I was going to guess Latin because it's just a word in yeah. Latin. Yeah, and it's exactly where, where it came from. As far as I know, this prohibition against splitting infinitives in English came from Latin, where in, in Latin you can't split an infinitive because the infinitive is just one word and you, you, can't, put, uh, uh, you can't put anything with, within another word. Uh, uh, so it, in, in Latin, it was a matter of logic. Okay, a word is a unit that can't be split. But in English, that logic doesn't apply. We, we have two and we have the verb. And, and so it's, po it's possible to split it. And therefore we did. And that, that, that's all there is to it, okay? This reminds me of something um, uh, I promised, I promised you uh, an example of tmesis, which is a cutting. Take, taking something that's supposed to be uh, 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 one word and making it two. And I, I ran across uh, an example the other day, and I've, I've forgotten it, but, but uh, 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 a related one is the expression razzle-dazzle. Okay, so uh, if you say something like, he has a lot of razzle in his dazzle, or something like that. Okay, you, you, you're taking a word and you're splitting it up. That's what tmesis is, all right. <clears throat> all right, let's move on here. Ah, <clears throat> look at these, look at these uh, expressions and tell me, tell me something about them. Just tell, them how, tell me how they, they hit you. Beat it, done me wrong, fall for it, not so hot. Like songs, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's very colloquial. Uh, young, sort of. Uh, no, not not okay. Not not young, but uh, carefree, fun, 
fun, okay, informal. Uh, they're all from Shakespeare. What, uh, what we'll do in, in the second half today, we have um, uh, only 20 minutes uh, for this. But I'd like to show you uh, how, uh, some, some real signs of how we, uh, how, how, how we do word analysis in English, just as uh, users of the language. The question arises whether all the structure that we talk about is stuff that linguists have have found or whether it's, it's, it's stuff that we as learners of the language uh, discover ourselves. And people who have done uh, experiments to, to see how much of word structure is, uh, is, is transparent to people. And, and, and the answer is that some of it is. The, the, the first evidence I'll pre pre present is uh, from uh, Jean Burko Gleason, who in the 1970s did experiments with with kids just learning language, kids around ages two, three, and four. <clears throat> she presented kids with, uh, uh, with drawings. And she, said, she, she, she said, this is a wug. This is a wug, okay? And then she asked, she asked the kids, she showed them this, how many, okay, what are these? How many of these? And the kids would say, two wugs. All right. So they, uh, at a very early age, kids understand the, the, the plural mark. They don't have to hear the plural form to be able to infer from a singular what, what, what the plural is. All right. Uh, now, for irregular plurals, uh, 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 pe people have done tests. And here, here's, so ox, plural of ox is oxen. All right. What, well, the way the kids acquire oxen, the plural of ox, is interesting. They first say oxes. That you expect. They have the plural rule. They overapply. They don't know about exceptions. Then they go through. Once they, their parents are saying oxen and they're saying oxes, they hear. Well, they, they know they're doing it wrong, and so they copy the parents' pronunciation of oxen, but they still have to put a plural ending on it, and the plural ending is s, and so they say oxens. It, and it's not every child who does this, but many, many, many children do this. And then finally, they get it. Say, oh, yes, S is not only the plural, S is not the only plural marker. There's also irregular plural markers, and then they get the right form, oxen. All right? So there's a, there's a, a period where you fail to recognize exceptions, then you're aware of the ex exception, but you don't know quite what to do with it, and finally, uh, you get it right. Now, let's go to adults. <clears throat> Take the word P, P-E-A, one of the simplest words in the language. Well, it didn't start out as P, it started out as peas, as in the nursery rhyme, peas porridge hot, peas porridge cold, peas porridge in the pot, you know that one? No, okay, is, yeah? okay, some of you do. <clears throat> peas, the, uh, our vegetable, the pea, used to be called peas, P-E-A-S-E. As in this nursery rhyme, peas porridge hot. Uh, there are citations going way back before 1398. The citation is 1398. Peas was singular and plural, kind of like corn or barley. Now, okay, it, 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 it didn't it didn't have a separate plural. We don't say corns or barley, except for corns on your feet. Okay. Uh, uh, peas was like that. We heard peas. 
we heard corn. We didn't have any problem with corn, but peas, we couldn't stand the fact that it sounded like a plural. And so what did we do? We reanalyzed it into P plus the plural ending S. We were totally wrong. It was a mistake. But it stayed with us because, why? Well, it was logical. <laughs> because it fit into, into, our, uh, into our system. Mm. Um, this leads us to the whole uh, topic of reanalysis, what some people call folk etymology. So word etymology as done by the folks, okay, rather than the, than the scholars. Mm. And what, what these folk etymologies do is they show us how people who don't know the actual histories of words, who haven't studied them, how they analyze the language. Take outrage. Let me, let me go back. Take outrage. Tell me, tell me what, you, what you see. Tell me what you imagine when you think of the word outrage and relate it to the two words out and rage, if possible. I mean, why, why is outrage a good word for the concept that it conveys? Why are those two elements so, you know, how do they contribute to the meaning? Well, well it's an extreme version of anger, of rage. And okay. outrage so, is even worse than rage. Okay, so yes. So you start with rage and you go out from there into really, all right, well, makes perfect sense. That's a folk etymology. It's not th that uh, we borrowed it from French. The French word was outrage, which is a combination of outre, o let's see, O-U-T-R-E, which means beyond. It's, it's, it's the French word for Latin ultra. French took Latin ultra and changed it to outre. So it means beyond, out, you know, outside. And then the A-G-E is the French ending that we get in garage, baggage, package, and so on. So it was the, the, the state of being beyond, the state of being outre. Right? And yet outrage, the, the story that Emily told is uh, sort of one that we, we all feel, and it's a much better story than the actual fact. Uproar, same way. When you think of uproar, I, I don't want to show you. When you think of uproar, okay, there's this, this violent scent and it's moving up, okay, like a bomb or, or something, up in the air, right? Well, the up part is right, but the roar just meant motion in Dutch, all right? And, uh, but we, that, that's just not the way we we interpret it. Okay. We take, take roar to mean our roar, of course. Spare rib. The spare in spare, okay, spare ribs are ribs that are left over, right? Ribs that, right? No, the, the ribs that have been speared, like uh, uh, yeah, they're cooked, cooked on a spear. Hangnail, this is one of my favorites. The hangnail, when I first heard the term hangnail, I, yeah. What's the hang and hang? You think, oh, yeah, there's this nail kind of, you know, there's this part dangling there and it's, it's in the way, you know, and so on. No, it, what it is is it's our reinterpretation of ang nail, where ang is the root in angst, anguish, anxiety, and so on, it comes from German. And 
uh, and nail meant nail. But what hangnail was originally a painful nail. And we, but we re when we lost the when we lost the word ang, the morphing ang, we reinterpreted it as hang because it was so so sensible. Okay. Um, so that that's about uh, mistakes. Mistakes that uh, much of English is built on mistakes, reanalyses. The next generation comes to the language and takes all of the things that have happened to it in the past, conflates them into, well, this is the language of the present, and reanalyzes the, the language. But every time a generation learns, the, every time a person learns a language, the system is really recreated. But the system that the next generation has will be different from the system that uh, the current generation has just because more, more things have been added. And so the, uh, all the, the, the different parts of the system, their relation to one another has changed. And so the, uh, in, in this way, uh, 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 language changes from, from generation to generation. <clears throat> Returning uh, for just a, a, a few moments to correctness. Uh, 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 we all care about correctness. We can uh, uh, advertise is capitalized on this by uh, by playing on that feeling. So take the Think Different campaign of Apple Computer. Certainly one of the most uh, uh, influential advertising campaigns that we've ever seen. When uh, when it first came out, you heard uh, cries from. English teachers, I suppose, and <laughs> and others says, "Oh no, no, no! You got a verb and a modifier, but to modify a verb, you have to use an adverb, and so you mean think differently, all right?" And uh, uh, so when we saw think different, we said, "Oh, here's a rule being violated." It just it just caught our attention. The clever thing was that it wasn't really a rule being violated, even before. The Apple ads, we could have things like uh, think small, right? Uh, it, it was fine. It's just that's not that's not what uh, that it, it it didn't register that way at first. It seemed to violate our our rules. Uh, this just started appearing. The We campaign, the We Can Solve It campaign for the environment. Has anyone seen this in magazines or on TV? It's all over uh, YouTube uh, now. You have. Uh, two uh, famous figures who are uh, 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 in, who have very contrasting views. So uh, here's Newt Gingrich and Nancy Pelosi sitting on a on a couch. So the the, 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 the that couple is just as incongruous as the couch in front of the U.S. Capitol building. All right, and they're saying we agree that we we can solve the uh, the uh, the energy problem. Okay, we need to we need to do stuff. Um, and and the the uh, the uh, the message is join we today. Okay, so we is the name of their campaign, but it also sounds like our uh, first person plural pronoun. And instead of saying join us today, it says join we today. It just kind of catches your attention. Again, it's violation of the rules. Um, this, 
Th uh, this comes under the heading, if you, if, if you care about correctness and want to change the way people behave linguistically, what can you do? Well, we, uh, uh, we know about certain cases where governments have tried to uh, influence the linguistic behavior of their subjects. So for example, uh, even today in, uh, in Francophone Canada or in France, there are fines imposed on media organizations for using English in the wrong places. Uh, French has to be used. If, if in Francophone Canada you have two signs, one in French and the other one's in English, and the English one is bigger, you get a penalty, you get a fine slapped on you. In France, if you're a radio announcer, a TV announcer, and you use an English loanword where a French word would do, you can, you can get fined for that. All right. It, it, uh, it, so uh, people care enough about correctness that, uh, that these sorts of things happen. They don't have much of an effect, okay, but governments try to legislate this thing. I just learned that for the Beijing Olympics, there was a huge national effort to do uh, certain things that would make the Olympics uh, 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 more pleasant for visiting foreigners. It, uh, one of the things that happened is that uh, uh, the, the, this campaign was mounted around 2002. Um, the, uh, it had the objective of making most citizens in China capable of speaking a hundred sentences, which they didn't necessarily understand the structure of, but saying sentences in English that English-speaking people would, would understand to help them co communicate with, uh, with the locals. Uh, but beyond that, in, uh, in uh, an article in the New York Times last summer, that uh, uh, they, they, they went out to the, another aspect of these measures in, in Beijing was there was a, a penalty for people who didn't speak, uh, speak English uh, well enough. It's sort of interesting. Um, we care about correctness, but one of the, uh, uh, what, what, what we say in the, in the chapter in the text is that uh, whatever standard of correctness you have, it must be relative to a, a certain speech style. Things that are uh, terribly inappropriate in one speech style become perfectly okay in, in another one. Uh, the uh, uh, different facets of style are, uh, what, what kind of speech event is it? Is it a sales talk or is it a, a lecture? Uh, what's the role of the parties? So what is the role of, uh, of, say, two speakers with respect to one another? What's being talked about? So are you talking about a ball game or about etymology? And uh, are you speaking informally or formally? Uh, uh, people who have studied these things have, have come up with the conclusion that uh, we, uh, in, in, in mastering the language, we're not only uh, mastering a set of rules and a set of vocabulary, we're actually uh, mastering many different kinds of styles in which differing rules and differing vocabulary have, uh, have different roles. So, so that if, if, I, if, I get, if I show you something like this, uh, 
Uh, sentence fragments like, we regret to inform you that, or if this continues, we have no other choice but to. You probably instantly, from the use of these words, get an idea of what kind of situation we're dealing with. What is this, what is this sound? What does this sound like? Yeah, it's not, it's, it's not, it's, it's, uh, you know, I, I, w I wouldn't say, say this to you. I regret to inform you that uh, I was late today. I regret, you know, uh, uh, if this continues, I shall have no, no choice but, to, okay, I, I, I couldn't possibly talk to you that way. It must be, it must be something else. It must be a business saying, you, you owe us money and we're getting tired of, of waiting. There's some, something in the choice of words that, uh, that, that tells us that. Um, we, uh, uh, words, uh, we, use, we, use, we choose words because we want to make an impression. Our, our ability to choose the right word to make the impression we want to make is it varies from person to person from time to time. That's why when, uh, when you talk about office talk, you see people, they just, they don't, they don't control the kind of impression that they're, that they're making on you. When Albertsons uh, in, in, in my neighborhood put up a sign saying, please select the shopping cart before entering, okay, they were trying to make like they were, uh, uh, Draegers or an Andronic, you know what I mean? They're, they're upscale, or a Whole Foods, the upscale. Because <clears throat> uh, they, 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 they I, I, I think, because of one, one word in there that just stands up. Huh? Select. What does select say to you? Oh, which one do I want? <laughs> <laughs> this one? No, that's too dirty. I want this one, okay. Uh, uh, the uh, pretentious language just uh, it, it, it rarely has the effect that you want it to have. <clears throat> okay, just finally. So, what's the role of practice in language? What 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 we say in, in the book? I, I wish we had time to talk about this more. Let's let's try to schedule time to talk about this next time and, and final time. Correctness is not an absolute. Uh, if, if, if I tried to maintain earlier that there's no universal logic that language corresponds to, it's also true that there's no universal English that has one set of rules and one set of vocabulary. There are speech styles, and correctness is always defined with, with respect to a particular speech style. Uh, correctness is important to most people. People who you think uh, don't have any idea of the rules of the language. They probably are following rules, but because the rules are different from yours, you're not catching. Their system is so different from yours that uh, you may not be catching what, what their system is. Um, uh, and too much attention to correctness can divert attention from the reason we use language, okay, which is to ex express ideas to, to one another. Okay, this is a good place to, uh, to oh yeah, uh, uh, just for fun, uh, here's some words that were just made up as a kind of game. So if you take, if you take the morphemes apart, you can see what they're saying. So these aren't, aren't real, but infra-caninophile, a file, like a bibliophile is one who loves books, right? An anglophile loves the English. 
So infra the canine and is dog. Infra under. Yes, so it's a lover of the underdog. Okay. Antiphlegmatic. This is different. W.C. Fields used to take antiphlegmatic. He, he, he drank a lot. And his excuse for drinking was it would, uh, uh, it would combat some sort of fog. And a ferroequinologist? Okay. Iron horse. Uh, so a specialist in iron horses. Or someone who likes trains. Dontopedologist. I think this is from uh, uh, Prince Philip, if I'm not mistaken, of, of England. He put takes teeth, yeah, foot in his mouth. Chris, a verbalist. Crusa is cross, verb is word, so uh, someone who does crossword puzzles. And steatocephalic, this may be in the textbook. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Uh, thanks very much for your patience today. And uh, please, 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 if, if you don't do uh, a single other exercise in the class, try page uh, 206, number two for next time. Uh, you'll, you'll find it on the web.